You're listening to the Bitcoin.com podcast. Our guest today is Stephen, founder of Terexa. This show is only provided for informational purposes only. It is not offered or intended to be used as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. This episode is brought to you by Terexa. Terexa is a public ledger platform purpose-built for audit logging of informational transactions. Terexa is the only next-gen decentralized infrastructure purpose-built to make informal transaction data clear and trusted. Over 80% of the world's transactions are informal, uncapturable, and unverifiable. Terexa closes the trust gap for informal transactional data with audit logging. For more information, visit terexa.io. That's T-A-R-A-X-A dot I-O. I'm your host, Dustin Planthold. Join us as we dive into the world of economics, politics, tech, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrency. For even more crypto-related news, sign up at news.bitcoin.com or follow us on Twitter at Bitcoin.com. Now let's bring on our guest. Stephen, welcome to the Bitcoin.com podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be here, Dustin. I've you know, been following work for a really long time. I'm a huge fan. Yeah, you need to keep going. I wish every guest were to start off a show that way, Stephen. Like, what a great way. Thank you. No problem. Just tell me like it is. <laughs> That's great. So, you know, it's interesting with entrepreneurs and, and companies in this crypto or, or Bitcoin ecosystem, depends how you look at it, is that they all started from the beginning, from the early days of this word Bitcoin or, or blockchain so tell me about your journey. When did you first hear of Bitcoin and and or blockchain? Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, I mean, I first this is a very long and interesting journey. And uh, like most people who got into the space, you know, didn't quite click for them until many years later. You know, after the first time they heard about uh, this interesting technology. So I heard about Bitcoin very early on. Um, uh, well. In 2013, I think for my friend Bobby Lee, who was uh, the founder of BTCC, one of the earliest and largest exchanges in the world, and um, he was, uh, you know, uh, putting together a bunch of Stanford alumni and telling us about this wondrous new thing called Bitcoin, how it's going to disrupt, you know, the future of currency and payments and everything. And it was pretty interesting, um, interesting talk, interesting conversation. Didn't quite get it. Um, I think I bought a very tiny fraction of a Bitcoin and uh, and sort of left it as it is. Uh, it was extremely cheap. I think several tens of dollars per Bitcoin. Um, so uh, one of the uh, major mistakes I made in my life, I think, not buying into that. Um, <laughs> I hear that quite a bit, by the way. The people are like, if I only, I'm like, I know. If you only knew what you knew today. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, it was 2013, and then I think 2014, um, you know, the, the the price crashed. The Central Bank of China said that Bitcoin was illegal, so I stopped paying attention to it. The next time I heard from another Stanford buddy was uh, Alex Liu, who is uh, the founder of MyCoin in Taiwan. So he was telling me that, you know, hey, there's something very interesting called um, blockchain, and you should check it out. And I said, well, what's blockchain? He said, well, you know, Bitcoin, blockchain is what powers Bitcoin. It's a technology. And then there's a there's this new technology on the market called Ethereum, and you know it's written by this Russian kid. You know you should go check it out. Um, so uh, so you know I went into a few meetups, and uh, yeah, there was this Russian kid named you know Vitalik, <laughs> and uh, he was there talking about Ethereum. Yeah, I went to a few of them. You know had a few conversations with Vitalik, and uh, didn't 
also quite get it again, right? Didn't quite get it again. And uh, at the time was like, you know, not ex extremely sure why this is so interesting. Um, so I've had, you know, two uh, Stanford classmates tell me about, uh, you know, Bitcoin and blockchain in uh, across the span of two years. And the third time, you know, someone told me about it was um, uh, was another friend uh, based in Hong Kong, Jinbo. Uh, uh, so he had just quit his job, um, very high paying job uh, on Wall Street uh, to join uh, a, a blockchain startup. So um, and he was telling me about how this is, you know, once again, you know, similar story, how this is going to change the world, very disruptive technology. But I think what's different about the third time was that I had encountered um, a very interesting problem, I think, in my work. So that's when the two finally clicked, right? So I, I've had a sort of a strange career. I was trained as an electrical engineer, but I um, spent a lot of time founding startups in IoT and uh, mobile health. And then later, and I was uh, uh, doing strategy consulting. So I was an associate partner with Monitor Deloitte teaching large companies how to not get disrupted by small companies, right? Um, and it's very hard, right? Um, it's very, very difficult because they don't move very quickly. So the problem that I encountered was that large organizations and then complex projects are basically doomed to fail, right? Because as they get bigger, they stop coordinating and you know all this kind of stuff. There's a lot of costs involved in this coordination. And a lot of it surrounds the idea that they don't have access to the right kind of data. Right, because the data that they are able to collect, a lot of it is informal and unstructured, and they can't trust it. Right, um, so this organization, these projects move along very slowly, and they don't have access to good data, and they can't innovate, and they can't adapt. So that's when the third, you know, my third friend Jambo was telling me about this, and they finally clicked, and I was saying, hey, actually, you know, I think this technology could be used to make all this data a lot more trustworthy, and actually can make us as human beings a lot more scalable. So I think that's when it finally really clicked. So that was, I think, middle or early of 2017. Yeah. That was your so aha moment. You know, and I, by the exactly. way, I did have an aha moment a few times is to get into Stanford. I mean, your work ethic must be at the Elon Musk level. So how many hours a day do you need to put in to, to achieve your goals, to achieve your dreams? What does it take, Stephen? I think uh, yeah. During high school, I was working pretty hard. Um, didn't uh, didn't uh, didn't go to a lot of parties. Not that I would have gotten invited to any. Um, but yeah, um, it it takes it takes a very very long time, right? To really get good at something. I think there was a book that talked about ten thousand hours committed or something. But in order to be able to reach um, any kind of meaningful insight into anything that you're working on, right? You need to put in a lot of work. And a lot of times it's not really obvious what you're working towards either, right? So a lot of these insights, they sort of come when different parts of your world or different types of information collide with one another. And the really, really deep insights that people tend to have tend to be the ones that are driven by first principles. So um, not only do you have to work really hard, I think you have to be extremely introspective about what you're working on and why it is you know, that you're working on this and how it could be done differently. So um, I think that's really critical, right? In order to be able to come up with the really big ideas. Yeah. And you, know, you spent four years at Stanford and it only further proves to me that this model of life, and I'll call it the high performance people, is that, <laughs> again, time is all relative, but success is slow that you had to get up each and every day 
go into class, go back, prepare that this took four years, this, this journey. And most people don't have the patience or the drive, or they don't want it bad enough. They don't want it hard enough, but you did that quitting was not an option that you were going to succeed. So tell me about Taraxa. Why did you, why did you find, found Taraxa? Yeah. So, um, so I, you know, I found Taraxa, you know, um, because I wanted to solve that problem, that pesky problem of, you know, this informal transactional data, informal uh, agreements, and how can we make it more useful? So when we were looking at this problem back in 2017, it was a, there were several things that were that was really apparent to me. The first first thing was that you, in order to make a successful play in the space, um, you actually needed to um, you actually needed to be a full stack player, right? And and what that what that means is that you need to build the infrastructure as well as the application. And the reason why that is is number one, if you're a pure play application uh, player, I, you know we've seen so many of those die on the market because they didn't have the capability to really adjust the underlying infrastructure to adapt to their needs. Um, so that's that was very critical. Blockchain is not a commoditized or standardized or mature technology. Not even today it's not. So um, this is this is like you know the very early days of the internet where you know people who were serious about building networking software application or networked applications probably needed to end up building their own TCP IP stack, right? Um, so I think that's sort of where we are right now. The second thing that was very, very apparent to me was that, you know, there were a lot of teams out there that were just building the technology, right? People who were just building the, the layer one technology. Um, and it was great technology. It's very interesting, very sort of pensive. But once it was released, um, they die, right? Because no one's using it, right? This sort of build it and they will come mentality doesn't work, right? It violates one of these first principles. Like things just don't magically happen like that. So you had to go out and build your own applications, find commercial uses for it, figure out how it can solve real world problems, drive it forward and demonstrate that yes, this technology is marketable, it's useful, it's profitable, right? And only when that's been proven will developers flock to your ecosystem. People don't develop your ecosystem on large, like in, in large masses, unless it's, you know, it's highly profitable to do so. So you have to prove that, right? So for us, we're like, hey, this is, this is, this is, the, this is, the, this is the hurdle, right? We have to build both the underlying ledger as well as the applications. Uh, so that's exactly what we did. Um, uh, you know, we built, I think, a very high performance ledger. Uh, you can check out the performance stuff on our, on our website. And we also built two application platforms. One is called Helio, which actually makes machine-generated data much more trustworthy so that we can actually very quickly drive consensus amongst you know, stakeholders in any kind of business deal that have to do with machines or assets. And we also have Marinate, uh, which works with humans, right? Um, so we deal with everyday agreements made between people um, on the fly that later on cause a lot of confusion and disputes. And we try to you know, minimize that risk and, uh, and costs associated with those problems, uh, with marinating. You know, it's, it's fascinating the way the entrepreneur thinks, you know, the, the founder's eyes and the way you see the world. So who mentored you or who Sherpa'd you? And I think that's a word. I mean, was it books? Was it people? How did you find your way forward? <laughs> Um, I think uh, I think a lot of it had to do with making a lot of mistakes, right? Making a lot of mistakes. Um, I was just asked this question, I think, just last night. Um, you know, on another uh, interesting talk that we had, 
um, one of the lessons that I had to learn, you know, a few times, you know, repeatedly a few times, right? It doesn't really click the first time you hear it. Is that really, really when you're trying to build something new, um, beware of, you know, these supposed experts, right? So I can't tell you how many times you know, we're trying to build something new in my previous startups, in my current startup. There's always an army of experts that will tell you, look, you don't get it. You don't understand how the world works. You don't understand how the industry works. It doesn't work the way you think it works. You don't know enough about it. Spend 20 years in it, and then you can tell me you know, how to disrupt it and how to change it. It doesn't work like the way you do. Your, your, you know, your idea doesn't work. It just clearly does not work, right? Now, what's very interesting about these experts is that they are experts. They actually do know a lot. But what they do know a lot is the status quo. They know a lot about what is happening right now. Okay, and it's very, very, very difficult for them, almost by definition, to envision what could be different, because you know they're they're so entrenched and uh, they have such expertise in, in the workings of how industries, how technologies, how market dynamics work today. Um, like I said before, it's very, very important that when you're when you're you know when you're working on a new idea, when you're working on a new venture to drive, drive deep into first principles. How do things work really based on the most fundamental principles that applies to everything, right? Like people are lazy. That's the first principle, right? <laughs> Nobody wants to do more than they have to do, right? Um, you know, only money is honest, right? If someone's not paying you, there's a very good chance what you're doing isn't worth anything. Right? So there, there are just a lot of interesting these little tidbits um, that actually you have to drive towards these type of first principles in order to truly understand whether or not your idea has any traction. Listen to the experts, but at the same time, don't heat, don't you know, don't blindly follow them um, because they will point you to a trajectory where no innovation will occur. You know, it, it's a fascinating way of putting it because, like you, I do know super successful people. And some of those people, candidly, they don't like the word Bitcoin. They don't see the value in the ecosystem. They're a little bit blinded by what they know because of what worked for them. And exactly. so now looking at it going forward, that I do believe that rejection fuels people, that people must get to a place in life where they're tired of being sick and tired. And that is when you're able to rise above. So looking at your career and what you've achieved and now with Taraxa, who do you admire, Stephen? <laughs> who do I admire? Um, there's so many people I admire. I think um, one thing that I um, one thing that I really stuck in my head is when I was uh, at Stanford. We were, um, you know, in this uh, a student organization called Aces, um, and uh, we had a speaker who came one day. Uh, uh, name is Peter Theo, right? And then he was there talking about, you know, how he, you know, founded PayPal. You know, you know the, the cool stuff he's doing at Palantir's new company at the time. And, um, you know, very, very cool stuff. And then, and then I think um, one of the things that he mentioned, which always stuck in my head, was that he said, um, working on startups is, is very, very hard, right? And uh, he said that you need to be irrationally optimistic, right? Irrationally optimistic in order to make it through, right? And that was something that really, really stuck in my head. And um, it, uh, it, because I'm, you know, I'm not naturally somebody who is hugely optimistic. Um, so I actually asked him a question. <laughs> I said, you know, um, what, um, you know what, uh, what, what if you're not so optimistic, right? <laughs> and he said that, well, then, you know, then you have to find somebody who is optimistic and, uh, and glob onto them, 
right? I mean, so the, the lesson really is, you know, you have to be irrationally optimistic. But, you know, in order to internalize that, that lesson, I think for me, what that really means that in the very, very short term, um, you have to be very dogged. You have to be relentless in pursuing specific goals, right? In the medium to longer term, you can adjust your goals. But in the short term, you have to relentlessly pursue it, right? And that was that was something that's very interesting. The, another, um, there was another uh, person I drew inspiration from was another classmate of mine, and uh, she um, she actually had founded a few startups um, while she was in school. And um, the thing that she taught me was very very interesting. She said that you know all of us have this you know have this inclination to overthink things, right? She said, it's actually really an interesting iteration between doing and thinking, right? She said, if you if you think and think and you can't figure out the problem anymore, guess what? It's time to start doing. So, um, so, so yeah, so that is that iterative approach, right? Um, don't think too much, uh, start doing, gather data, yeah. So talk to the, I'll call it the wannabe entrepreneurs out there, those who want to be entrepreneurs that have been letting an idea collect dust, who've been allowing rejection to defeat them. How do they take it off the shelf? How do they move forward? Start working on it right away, right? Uh, if you're doing a part time, if you're, uh, you know, whatever, just just start just start doing it as as soon as you can. Yeah, yeah that, that's it. That that that's that's really the simplest way to do it. Because if you keep thinking about it, every single idea turns into complete, you know, crap. The longer the longer you think about it, right? You know if start working on it right away, start gathering data from real market, you know, real, real execution, and then reevaluate your idea, right? Uh, you just, but you got to start working on it. Yeah. Thank you again for sharing your story on the Bitcoin.com podcast. Thank you very much, Dustin, for having me. We know you enjoyed the show, but please don't forget, this show is only provided for informational purposes only. It is not offered or intended to be used as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. You've listened to another episode of the Bitcoin.com podcast. Subscribe at news.bitcoin.com, where your journey begins.